0: Let's go. Hello and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain our design? No, it's Sustain Open
1: Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain <laughs> Open Source Design.
0: SOS. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And welcome to Sustaining Open Source Design, the podcast where we talk about open source and design and how to sustain both of them in relationship together and how do they work together and what does design mean anyway? And how does it come up in open source? But welcome to the conversations where we talk about that. Today we have a few panelists and hosts with us that we'll introduce in just a moment. And we have a fantastic guest as well to join us to speak about their thoughts on sustaining open source design. So first, without any delay, let's introduce the rest of the hosts so you know who's speaking. Can I have Memo say hello?
2: Hello, folks. It's great to be here. I'm Memo Esparza. I'm tiling from Mexico. And I lead design at OpenCollective.com. I'd love to talk about more about open source, creativity and how we can push forward a more open way to design. i pass the mic over to Django. How are you, Django? Hello,
0: everybody. I'm coming to you live from beautiful, extremely sunny right now, Western Massachusetts. I am an open source UX designer working with open source, small startup open source projects to help determine how best to design for a contributor forward experience.
1: And I am Errol and I am dialing in from not my usual home base, but a mysterious sort of remote cabin up in the north of England ready for PhD writing times. But it's not about all about us as hosts, it's about our wonderful guests as well. So I'd like to introduce Lozana Rossinova. They are a digital designer and researcher based in Berlin. They are also doing something like associate researcher at the Open Science Lab. But I think that it's better if you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing at the moment and what you're researching and the way that you describe the work that you do. So welcome, Lozana.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, huge thanks for the invite. I'm a yeah big fan of the podcast, so it's exciting to be here today. Also, I'm a total rookie. It's my first time recording a podcast, so <laughs> if I mess it up, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I do indeed struggle to define my current title. I work as a researcher slash project manager slash community manager in the Open Science Lab, which is a pretty cool... Very open working space in institution called TIB in Hanover. TIB is in English the German National Library of Science and Technology, which is very long. But essentially, we do infrastructure for German universities, German institutions. I primarily work with the cultural sector institutions because that's my background. And in my kind of multiple hats that I combine in this role, I primarily work with open source tools. Obviously, where the open science loves. And, of course, all the tools to use are open source. I have a background in digital design, and to my role in the lab, I' primarily tried to combine my experience as a designer with my experience project managing complex digital project products in the past. and Also, I do community management for a tool called Wikibase. And I'm sorry, this is like an already long introduction, but maybe I'll just say that I am joining in today from Berlin, which is my home base at the moment. And it's kind of like a dark
1: evening here already, but I am still really excited for this podcast. Thank you. It sounds like there's a lot on your plate at the moment. So you're involved in a lot of different organizations, initiatives, and I'm curious to know how balancing all of that is for you so how do you and whether all of it's related to what you might describe as your job or like what you do for money and whether some of it is not and whether some of it is about contribution I mean
3: I think this job is helping me define that which I really appreciate that basically I am getting paid to figure out where can design sit amongst a really diverse team of scientists and developers and all sorts of researchers from different fields But maybe it helps to say that I did finish a PhD last year. And during my PhD, I was essentially working on designing digital cultural archives with this particular tool that I mentioned already, Wikibase. So this is a database management tool for linked open data. And it's widely used in like scientific communities, but increasingly also in GLAM, so galleries, libraries, archives, museums, and during my PhD. I basically was kind of sort of doing some of the community management work already. I was trying to get people together around this tool, form a community. I was part of the original, now I think it became an affiliate of Wikimedia. So there's this Wikibase user community group that I co-founded with a number of people around 2018. Afterwards, around 2020, I set up another group, which we call Wikibase stakeholder group. And like the difference is basically... In the user group, it's a bunch of developers, designers, users who come together and think about features around this tool. And in the stakeholder group, it's much more institutional based. So it's like big institutions or universities using the tool. And yeah, kind of during my PhD, I was obviously doing design and research, et cetera. But I was really thinking about community and how we can contribute around this tool ecosystem. And then my current position basically came along via the route of the open science lab looking for a so-called wiki-based specialist someone who understands this software and i don't think they were really looking for a designer but they got a designer <laughs> and my job title is not a designer which is what i kind of laugh with my colleagues about that the only way to get a designer in a library is to call yourself a researcher or something else just don't call yourself a designer you'll get fired <laughs> or just not hired but i think if you call yourself a community manager project manager researcher or basically anything else you can make big impact, I think, and really work with a fascinating team and a fascinating kind of knowledge domain. So my leitmotif of the last five or six years has been really inserting myself in situations that are not your typical design situation and trying to make the
1: most of it. I'm curious about a number of things that you've talked about. I'm really curious to hear more about infrastructure and what it's like to be part of how infrastructure is built for universities. Will correct me if I'm wrong Researchers in university and science, I think that's interesting because it's often something that we don't think about how it's designed. And I think when I say design, I mean, not necessarily in the pixels or the visuals, but designed in like big design, like strategical But also, I'd love to hear some of the examples of some of the situations that you just talked about. So I think I want to lead with examples of situations and then maybe we can go into infrastructure. So what kinds of situations do you find yourself in as a designer slash (laughs) researcher?
3: Well, maybe I'll start with the situation. I think it was 2018 or 2019. I have to double check now. To be honest, everything pre-pandemic is kind of like mushing together a little bit. But this was the kind of early days of the Wikibase community. Wikibase was released as a product in 2015. And of course, there were some early adopters, but the proper community started forming around 2018, 19. And we, by we, I mean myself and the institution I was doing my PhD with, which is called Ryzo, and it's actually very cool institution. I should pop the link in the chat. They work with digital design, creative technology, kind of the wide spectrum of like digital culture. I would say a lot of open source, of course, they support open source tools and development. And we organized this meetup for the Wikibase slash Wikimedia community in New York in the new museum where were based. Very glamorous event, of course. You know, we had the benefits of Pascal with the fancy museum in New York and all that. And we proposed a program, which featured design very heavily. And we got the question back, like, why is there design on the program? Like, what is that about? You know, we don't need that. And, you know, we had to argue very heavily with my supervisors that actually, yeah, you really seriously don't need design. And then the design sessions of the kind of whole conference slash symposium event were some of the most productive ones, which meant like we did some workshops, a lot of whiteboarding, a lot of sketching prototyping features and by the end you know I think like it was a three-day thing on like the last day morning as these things kept kind of almost hackathon you like people don't sleep very much you're all tired but I was showing some like really fast put together clickable wireframes and people were just like completely like losing their mind and being like oh my god this is amazing (laughs) it was really like a hilarious moment of working with these People who've done absolutely major level infrastructure, right? Like the Wikimedia team that we invited are the people who maintain Wikidata. And for the people listening who are not data nerds, which I assume is like 100% of the audience, because I'm probably like, I may be the only data nerd, like open source designer out there. But Wikidata is this like massive public database of structured data. It has like 97 million Items in it, and an item is everything from like the planet Earth to like an individual chromosome or something. I don't know. It's like an enormous thing. It has like science and art and everything in it. And the people maintaining this thing, you know, came to this conference that they were really there to think big level infrastructure, big level data modeling, architecture. How do we scale the service? How do we have good performance? And then, you know, we ended up scoping in just a few hours like loads of new features like making prototypes and they really did not think this is design but was really trying to convince them that this is design and this is the value that we can get together visualize some ideas and put forward like an actually doable thing and that was maybe like the first real situation so to say that kind of really showed me that i need to be in these spaces like i need to talk to people who work in big infrastructure projects if i want to make impact with the tools that I love and also the communities that I really want to help right like the cultural communities that I think can really benefit from this software because too often it's like science right like the scientists get like the best software usually or like the software that you don't need to pay enormous amounts without understanding what you're paying and I'm saying that just from like the knowledge of having done this research During the PhD, I talked to a lot of museums and I I would say they use like really old software, you know, stuff like, I mean, designed in the nineties or even earlier, they would pay like six figure amount of money every year in subscriptions. And it's just sort of, so you're not getting good product and you're paying enormous amounts of money for it. Like it just doesn't seem like a fair exchange. I kind of wanted to really help improve the software, but also speak up for the culture, blog and community. And somehow being in these big infrastructural talks seemed to be the the way to go. I don't know if that answered your question. Maybe I went a bit on a tangent.
1: Don't worry. We absolutely love tangents on this podcast. So tangents are where we find like these interesting intersections between the work that we do. But yes, don't worry, tangents.
0: Tangents make the world go round. You mentioned earlier on that The only way to get a designer into a library is to say only that they're not a designer. And you have something here in the outline that I was really intrigued by reading it when you said, when design is not recognized as a legitimate contribution and it has to be wrapped up in other tasks. I think that's something that we've all worked with and that can speak to what a lot of people have dealt with in the past. How do you go about advocating for design and better design and design best practices in an industry which, oftentimes isn't entirely sure how to make best use of or even be welcoming to designers.
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe I should also not make blanket statements, but I do have anecdotes from why designers who used to work in the institution I work with now, you know, didn't last long, but... I mean, there are, of course, like the progressive institutions here and there who would hire a UX designer and that would be their literal job title. I think it is really dependent on like the design maturity of an institution, right? I do find it though that sometimes the most challenging jobs, the jobs when you have to go into an institution that doesn't necessarily have designers or, you know, doesn't plan to hire designers, that's where sometimes you can make the most impact. And I think right now the the way I'm focusing my work is to really do design what I would call design level tasks, but show their value and not necessarily call them design, but I would do a lot of user research. I would do a lot of workshops and talking to users and trying to understand the features they need. I would also do a lot of project management that I don't think necessarily always has to be done by designers. It's really great when they're dedicated project managers, but in the research, I work in a library, but it's actually really like a research institution and we have a lot of labs. This may be a slightly German Peculiarity that I don't know if all the audience here would be familiar with, but like basically very large libraries in Europe would have research divisions, right? So I don't necessarily work with people who have no books or anything like this. We just do research and and build software. But basically, in my institution, I get to do a lot of project management because all of our work happens on grants. And in that case, I would say it's very similar to academia, right? So we would write the grant and then the grant typically like all you know kind of research funding is tight so you put in the core people that you need in there you need your developers you need your scientists no one really ever wants to put a project manager down on grant money right because you can't convince some big funder that oh we're building here some revolutionary software or like whatever sometimes it may be research into healthcare or whatever it is like the scientists do and no one wants to like waste money on a project manager right but actually you really need someone to organize priorities And when I do project management, I really do prioritizing around features, bugs, you know, what do we fix first? How do we handle different things that maybe different communities need? And that kind of work is, I think it's in a lot of ways design related, right? It's not really design in the sense that I don't sit there pushing pixels all day long, like every day. Sometimes I do. And I I do that actually almost like surreptitiously. Like I try my my personal style of designing is like design the least amount possible right like build, use whatever you have optimize kind of take a very minimal approach but try to meet the user needs of course like on some projects i get to design a bit more but yeah i, I try my best to wrap a lot of these different activities that i think ultimately will get us a better product and will actually get us there more efficiently right so we, we will instead of like wasting time building things that no one will use like i try to really advocate for okay let's build only the stuff that people right now need then test it and iterate on that And that is extremely basic, like everyone in like professional, you know, commercial development would know this and this is like second nature. But oddly enough, you go into like this research fields or a library slash glance to a degree universities. And I think people are still very focused in this mindset of like, well, you just need like one developer and you build, build like a product or something. Like I also did a lot of projects during my PhD with digital humanists. And I think in the digital humanities, it's even worse than in science. In science, at least you maybe get like a million euro. Uh, funding and then you hire 10 developers and you're kind of set right <laughs> you don't even think about MDS, but like in digital humanities your funding is maybe 50k and you just hire one person that person has to build everything and then you get really bad software that has very low uptake and i personally also find that kind of really painful you know like i don't want to build stuff that gets obsolete or no one uses so i do see my role as this kind of many heads kind of role and i and i've seen yeah, I've seen like people handle this differently, right? They're different. If you look at like project managers, project managers don't always come from design. Oftentimes they do, but sometimes they might come from engineering or some kind of more admin level role. But I do think what I'm doing is not necessarily super new. Like I basically listen to work podcasts and like check out what other people are doing. <laughs> Try to, you know, kind of reuse like some of that kind of wisdom in the communities that people have already shared.
0: I think that was a phenomenal answer because what you touched on, which I really, really love, is the nature and importance that infrastructure has for all of the work that we do. And it seems that a lot of times in open source projects, the belief is that at the core level, the development team will already understand, or the hope is that the development team will already understand the infrastructure and where they need to go because it's not based on a broad scope wide-eyed project it's specific tasks but the thing that is oftentimes forgotten is that there needs to be someone or something there that is staking those tasks and working with those tasks and identifying those tasks and i do feel that oftentimes we are very well suited to that performance
2: yeah listen i just wanted to dig a little bit deeper on these blurred line roles for designers in this like new age let's talk about <laughs> Just put it like that because I think that, as you say, centers are becoming less pixel pushers or you know less up, up focused on craft and more focused on people. And I personally see the designer's role to be evolving more as a facilitator of some sort. But I also find like really valuable to consider other people designers around us, like even if they don't have creative backgrounds, because we understand design as not as crafting something, but rather to shape the world around us and shaping solutions around us. So how do you think we should push that leap forward? Is it in education or is it on a more corporation-based level? What do you think about that?
3: Actually, I do think about it very often. I also teach, or at least I used to. I had one design module in the university of reading during my phd and i did my master's there before the phd And my master's was in very very classical design right like typography design print <laughs> you know it just feels like something from a different age i feel basically vintage in most of my digital conversations but i don't think designers and our level of thinking even in the most classically trained cases can bring something to the digital discourse i mean Oftentimes, I do think my super classical training in design and typography really brought a a level of detail orientation that I don't see very often across some of my colleagues who maybe just come from other kinds of digital backgrounds, or also a level of thinking about information that I think we don't give designers really credit for. I mean, we often call designers pixel pushers, or you're you're just like graphic designer, you don't understand anything about like psychology or uh, anthropology, and I do feel... Sometimes I feel like, well, I should have probably studied, you know, human computer interaction. That wasn't like maybe the best choice to go with such a classical design education, given my interests in digital. But ultimately I think like digital orientation in design and really focus on information and structuring information is what kind of helps me guide a lot of my activities these days. I do think a focus towards what you just mentioned around focusing more on people is very important. I oftentimes think that if I have more time and money, I'll probably get like a. I really want a master's in anthropology. I don't know if it's a thing you do after a PhD, but <laughs> I do think like community management is where I see the next level of combining design for open source and project management. I think it kind of culminates for me personally in community management because in the work I do that not, not now, extremely lucky I get paid for it. I mean, no one else in community management I know gets paid for what they do. I do have to say this is entirely pioneering by my supervisors in the open science lab. But I do community management for Wikibase. And essentially by community management, I get to know what all the other, at least not all the other in the world, but at least like the more major institutions are working on with this particular software. I get to lead monthly meetings where we scope together a roadmap for the community and, you know, really thinking, okay, maybe like the GLAMs need a certain set of features, but then the scientists need a different kind of set of features. Let's have some workshops for like, I don't know, intake, this is like just giving some examples, but we are having this week, later this week, workshop on API intake for intake for millions of items into Wikibase. Obviously, this is like much more relevant to like our biochem researchers who are dealing with like DNA level data and it's not super relevant for the GLAMS. But on the other hand, we're also having other workshops where we're looking into image integration and 3D modeling integration into Wikibase, which obviously really narrowly serves the GLAMS. And so by doing some kind of parts of my weekly schedule, you know, being dedicated to community management, I get to learn really what people need through this community work. And I wouldn't call this traditional kind of like user testing or just having these like very scientifically set up sessions where I figure out what are the requirements for X, Y, and Z. But still, I, I you know, the community work really kind of influences my product manager role within the Opal Science Lab. And then ultimately like further down the line, any kind of level of design I do, which is sometimes on the interface level of like, okay, we need an integration between this and that tool. I need a little bit of a UI, I'll do it. But I do think all of this kind of work coming together is very important. And to come back to your question, actually, finally, what can we do more, right? Advocate to other designers, but education too is important. And I, in my teaching, I just try to show people how We can't be completely stuck in our detail level orientation, of like beautiful layouts. We do have to look around. I try to teach my students a lot of like digital culture in general, right? Like what actually what what I love about Rhizome and the institution that I did my PhD with basically, you know, this kind of focus of media art and I don't know, critical practices. I think this is useful for students to see and to think about. It may sound trivial, but like, I don't know why social media is evil or something. It is useful to put these kind of bigger questions to students. And in, as a final thing, also institutions, right? We have to push institutions to, move from, it's not only the designer's responsibility to bring in the community together and to bring in the tech team together with the community. It has to be the institutions, they have to recognize that to get properly involved with their users as as like actually kind of agents right with with some kind of power in this thing they have to engage with them on a level deeper than like well i'm gonna do some a b testing at some point and you know like i'm gonna see what they like or what they don't like i mean it has to be a little bit more than this so anyway yeah my kind of like trifecta is like change on the level of design change on the level of education but also change institutional institutions work and maybe they do need to look towards Silicon Valley, like more classical kind of commercial tech companies, how do they work? I mean, there's lots to be learned there. We shouldn't just scoff at, you know, we shouldn't just be like, oh, I work in this like very prestigious research place. We'll never look at like how commercial tech companies work because they're all evil. Like that's not a productive way to think about things. Equally, you know, people shouldn't also idealize these companies because i have read like the few libraries that i know in the us who actually do employ designers i've read papers coming out of these places being like the library world is always so behind silicon valley and we need to like look at them and like check what they're doing and we need to do the same thing and i just think that's also that's kind of the other extreme like one extreme is to be like super lofty and being like oh we're academics well you know we won't go down on that level but the other extreme is like oh we're so behind we have to do exactly what they're doing i think it's kinda has to come in the middle and like which is why I love open source communities, right? Like this is where I think institutions can really learn from a more healthy way of developing software, not going to the super extreme of like very commercial profit-oriented companies, but also not stay on the level of like we're just researchers and we don't need to look at the world around us. So we have our own science going on or something like this. I
2: want to build up on that one and I also wanted to ask you something that you put on a document that I found really interesting on how to bridge you know, the goals these this kind of institutions have, I'm talking about museums, libraries, this kind of knowledge base institutions, how to bridge those institutions with the work that designers do on open source. I see it with framing better projects on which to communities, open source based communities can engage with and start materializing more of that, making knowledge accessible for everyone, materialize on design solutions, which is usually, you know, on a mainstream base, the tool for, I guess, like marketing, et cetera, to make it visible. Like, how can we make visible the work that this institution do through open source?
3: I do think institutions sometimes do great work in terms of actually really following proper, processes and hiring a lot of researchers and designers to talk to communities and get detailed feedback, etc. And then oftentimes all of that work remains completely closed off, right behind closed doors in reports that only internal people see. And I'm saying this because I did try to do some research around this during my PhD. And of course, only, I have to say, limited to cultural institutions. So that's the only example I can give, may not be the case always. But I did find that loads of museums would hire consultancy companies and then all that work remains behind closed doors. And that's really a shame. So I tried to set a small example with my own work. So everything in my PhD is completely open and published. I publish like super ridiculously detailed things that I don't think anyone would ever really want to read unless they're equally crazy, obsessive designer who just wants to read like every single survey I did and every single interview. I don't know. But I don't think just publishing more is better, right? Like even if no one reads it or one person reads it because they are doing a PhD on this thing, like just publish openly. I mean, this is one of the other kind of things we evangelize in our lab, right? Like open science, everything has to be published openly. But I don't think there's something else that institutions can bring to the table. And I guess it's uh, what I was kind of trying to maybe write a bit earlier in the document is this idea of like, what can institutions teach open source communities and open source tools and what can open source tools and communities teach like institutions and I think one of the things that is important to point out is that institutions have developed to a certain degree quite sophisticated theories if not always practices but sometimes they also have like procedures for how to handle things like colonial legacies and I find that like kind of important to bring into the conversation right like a lot of when you talk about data a lot of the data in these knowledge bases and in the institutions is structured following very colonial standards and ontologies and institutions are aware of this or most of them not all of them and at least the archivists and librarians working in there are pretty much aware of these things I mean there have been like theories developed from archival science and library studies and museum studies since like the 90s or you know even 80s sometimes basically as soon as digital information kind of became a thing and everyone started digitizing the kind of information workers in these institutions started really thinking like oh we need to really fundamentally rethink how we structure these things here we can't just follow our typical traditional colonial terminologies anymore and. That created a level of sensibility and brought in a lot of theory from uh, cultural studies. Also, you know, feminist theories that I think are very important, brought in the ideas around care, right? So you're not only kind of curating your collections anymore, you're taking care of them and you build these networks of care around different objects. And this is something that I think open source communities can actually learn something from, right? Like in open source, oftentimes we do idealize certain modes of working that actually can be quite biased as well this kind of being so dependent on volunteer label is obviously like always going to be prejudiced towards certain people who have like leisure time versus others who don't and also going fully open with everything i mean i think institutions should be open with their data because it's tax paid but you know certain cases like community archives maybe you don't want to go fully open with your data for various vulnerabilities within the communities And that I think open source communities can actually learn a bit more from institutions, this idea of how do you manage openness, how do you manage bias, how do you manage having a more kind of sensitive practice, you know, also being aware of contemporary like developments, something like feminist theory like that shouldn't be in you know queer studies this shouldn't be some kind of like alien knowledge to open source communities we in open source communities we don't need to reinvent the wheel of like how a community can be healthy and like welcoming towards marginalized people right like institutions knowledge institutions have tried to do that sometimes looking not very successfully but at least they're trying so i do feel like in open source we can also learn a bit more from institutional, so it, it should be a, I, I do see these things as kind of they can work well in a complementary kind of situation.
0: I think it's interesting and it's still educational and very relevant. However, we are coming up on time. and so we like to do on every episode is we've got a nice section called Spotlight, and on each episode we share something that has provided value or impact on our personal career or life. And our goal with Spotlights is to just shine some light and show gratitude to projects and maintainers that mean a lot to us. Memo, would you like to go first? Sure, I'm spotlighting a project that has helped me recently.
2: It's a framework on how to build websites. It's called Jamstack. The URL is jamstack.org. And I really like it because it's, it's really open in the way of what tool you use and it works really well friendly but also with designers that has helped me a lot on recent projects especially when it's
0: developer involved so I suggest you check it out errol what do you have
1: so my spotlight today is a cool little tool that i found i don't know really what it goes by but the url will be in the show notes i think it's referred to as pose search so you can find it on github.com slash x6ud slash pose, as in P-O-S-E dash dash search. And essentially, it's this cool little tool that was shared in one of my communities where if you're looking for a photo or an image for reference for drawings, you sort of move a, a poseable skeleton, human skeleton around, and you can Search for free and open photography that that is in that post so that you can draw from reference. It's a really cool little tool and I, I hope that they are really successful. And that's my spotlight for today.
0: Super cool. My spotlight for this week isn't necessarily one open source project, but it's something that I've been working on and my work has been working on and it's very near and dear to my heart. We have just announced that we're hosting in September the Open Work in Academia Summit. It can be found at openr.it slash summit. We're hosting it between September 7th and 9th. And it talks a lot about what you've talked about as well, Lizana, about the hybridization and the full openness of academic and industry work. So instead of perhaps just working in this idea of open source, but thinking about how we can best work in a fully open manner. And so it'd be a day of working groups, a day of seminars, and then a day of what those working groups has talked about, or a half day of what those working groups have talked about. Again, that is openr.it slash summit. Lissana, what about you? Let's share a split list.
3: So the first one, the official one, I'm going to post the link openrefine.org. It's an open tool that has been around, I guess, for almost a decade. It's a tool that a lot of data journalists, scientists, researchers, digital humanities people use to clean data, but also crucially to enrich it. So you can organize and wrangle your data in however you like. Well, it's kind of like, a don't know, Excel on steroids. It's like a super powerful tool, but you could also enrich it with linked open data sources from like the entire linked open data slash semantic web cloud. So things like Wikidata, which is one of the things I talked about. But also, yeah, a wide range of like other tools supported by libraries and institutions around the world. So I do think it's like an important tool for anyone in the like open science world. But crucially, why I want to highlight it, because I have been on the steering committee of this tool for about two years, and I'm now moving into a kind of slightly different role, more as a not just a designer, but I guess I really like this role from a previous episode, UX mentor. I think you had a guest from the Document Foundation or yeah. And that person described their role as a UX mentor. And I think I'm going to be something like this for this tool. And I basically want to encourage people to get in touch and, you know, we'll be establishing like ways for people to contribute. I'm going to have to refer to everything that Open Source Design Group has been developing (laughs) because I have a lot to learn, but Yeah, this tool I think is is really great and has an amazing development team, super, super open to design. They actually really want to work with designers to improve things, so I think that's very refreshing. But the second thing I want to highlight, and I think this is very topical, I don't know when the episode comes out if this will still be topical. I assume it will be, unfortunately. But basically, WebRecorder.net is a suite of tools for web archiving. And why I'm highlighting is because it's not only a super cool open source project that I have been involved in since its very beginning, basically around 2016 or so. It's a very important tool for preserving digital culture or heritage. Everyone can use it to archive their own work online, you know, from websites to whatever else you maintain. But one thing I want to mention why I think it's important to highlight is that right now, this entire suite of tools is being used by Saving Ukrainian Cultural Heritage Online Project, or Sucho.org, which is also an awesome initiative. And basically, I am just going to advertise it that if anyone is interested in getting in touch right now, WebRecorder.net need developers, designers, archivists, like anyone able to help because the Sucho project is absolutely massive. And it's also an amazingly good cause. So... Basically, if people listening want to check it out and contribute, I highly recommend. Thank you.
0: Both of those are fantastic. Thank you so much, Lozana.
2: Yeah, Losana one last thing. Where can people follow your work? What you publish? How to engage with you? Where you are at?
3: I am on Twitter with just my full name, Lozana Rossinova. That is probably the easiest way to... Follow what I'm doing. I try to be pretty active there, and, and I do share all my publications, etc., etc. I am also on Mastodon on the post.org server, so I will have to dig out the link and uh, post it in the chat in a moment. But yes, I try to be on Mastodon when I can, not as active as Twitter. What else? I mean, I have a website, but I don't update it nearly as often as I should. People should also keep an eye out on the Open Science Lab if they're interested in, like more generally the work we do there. But yeah, that, I think that should do it. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Lozano Rosanova, a digital designer and researcher based in Berlin, and it has been fantastic and a wonderful experience. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: And thank you all so much because I think I've learned just like listening to the podcast the last few weeks, back episodes, I feel like I've learned so much and I did you all the amazing work. So keep doing the good work for open source design and open source communities. Thank you all.
2: We just hit the finish line. We're at a couple of different places. You can either shoot us an email at sosd at or you can follow us on Twitter. At Sustain And we have a small website, sustainouss.org. So, yeah, please follow us. And if you want to be also on the podcast, give us a shout out. Thank you, everyone.
0: Bye bye.